Welcome back to Box to Box Euros edition. I don't think we can say WSL for the rest of the season until it starts again. So we're deemed to Box to Box Euros. Uh, welcome back, everyone. It's been a bit of a break, but we're back and ready for the month of July. Finally, it feels like we had a break. We technically had like a month break, but it feels like it's been like a week or so, um, give or take. But I'm back with the usual, Jesse and Abdullah. How are you guys? All good, tired. You know, it's a, uh, it's been a, it's been a fun day. It's been a fun day back at work, but it is what it is. We're back here recording. Always enjoy that. I'm buzzing. By the time you listen to this, it will be tomorrow. But it, depending on when you listen to this, it might have started. But it's just very exciting. I feel like we've been building up to this tournament for literally a gazillion years, and I can't really believe it's actually gonna begin. But I can't wait. Jesse, I'm gonna have. You know how people have a swear jar. Yeah, I'm gonna have a jar that you're gonna have to put a pound in every time you say it's coming home. <laughs> it's coming home. Uh, one pound. Hey, I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> I'm excited. I read a, I read, a, I read a stat on the on the Euros account on Twitter the other day that, that tickets have been bought from 99 countries. I am 99.9 percent sure I am the only one in Dubai who might have done that. I might be from that one country that is added to the data. It is crazy, isn't it? Considering how much of England doesn't know about it and then the rest of the world is aware of it. It's just weird. Yeah, and different parts. So just goes to show. Yeah. Well, hopefully um, people are aware of it if they're listening to this podcast. If you didn't know, there's a woman's Euros happening in England <laughs> for the month of July. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the way we're going to do this episode to not make it too long is we're going to kind of just focus on who we think the top two are going to be of each group and for the group of the we're going to focus on the three just to make it a bit better. We don't look silly. We'll go in order. There's no bias here. You know, there's no Barcelona, no Arsenal ahead of Chelsea. Um, group A is England, Norway. Right, we're Aust- starting with England. So there is bias. <laughs> there's not for me this time. <laughs> so England are big favorites to win it all this summer. And we would say they are guaranteed getting into the quarterfinals with this group. And Norway would be the other nation through from this group. And Austria are a great team, but not quite big enough to beat England in our way for a quarterfinal spot, potentially. You know what? We're going to guess this entire tournament wrong, and then we're just going to come back and listen to this, and we're going to be just hitting ourselves in the head. But um, Northern Ireland will probably not make it through, but they are just making history being in the final tournament after qualifying for the very first time. Okay, now, Jesse, I need you to relax a little bit. Take a breath. Be sensible. Have your practical hat on. England are favourites to win it. Why? Yeah, I think England are favourites to win it, potentially. Listen, I think there are a lot of different factors going on here. I think, first things first, there are a lot of teams at very similar levels. And I think England's just one of a handful that I think it's very hard to choose between. But that being said, I think England have kind of the home advantage, which does make a difference you know you only have to look at the Netherlands in 2017 like these things can happen I think that it's also overlooked how consistent England have been at international tournaments they've reached the semi-finals at 2015 World Cup 2017 Euros 2019 World Cup I know at none of those they've like managed to get to the next level but 2019 World Cup was incredibly slim margins um Ellen White's baby toe uh it could all have been very different but I think that's kind of been an overlooked thing because it feels like everyone's so focused on kind of laughing at England getting hyped up about it which I totally understand like it will be funny if we crash and burn but I think that is something that's worth bearing in mind that this is a team that not only has a really exciting set of players who've come into the squad over the past four years Lauren Hemp, Leah Williamson, uh, Ella Toon etc etc but also has that kind of experience of doing well in knockout tournaments um, with players like Lucy Bronze, Millie Bright etc so yeah I do think they've got a really good shot you know I think they've got a good group uh, to get out of I think you know having to come up against group B is is a bit of a tricky one but there are definitely worse groups to be in in this tournament and I don't see any reason why they can't win it put it that way that is fair it is for the record I do think that England should be favorites because they are one say of it's coming home <laughs> No, I'm never, you would never hear that come out of my mouth. The thing is that I don't have to, I don't have to say it because enough people are saying it here. So if I don't say it, then it's completely fine. Um, But for the record, I do think England are one of the favorites, but you won't hear me talk about it much because there is enough buzz around England already that one more voice doesn't really matter. 
Um, but looking at you know the England squad, you have you know the Lucy Bronze, but then you have the Lauren Hemp's, the Lee Williamson's, the I mean, there's only one of each, really. Um, the <laughs> Kira Wash, Lucy Bronze, Alessia Russo, Ella Toon. You have all these really exciting players, and the list goes on and on and on. And then on top of that, you have a very, very capable manager in Serena Vigman, who has, of course, already made a huge positive impact uh, and defeated so far under Serena Vigman, England. Yes, opposition, blah, 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 blah. You've, seen, you've still seen the immediate impact that Serena has brought in after Phil Neville. So that's quite promising. Um, I'm talking up England way too much here. But Abdullah, a bit of a different voice now. Is it enough to take them to the final, lift the trophy ahead of everyone else? Yeah, you'd think so. I mean, considering the last couple of major tournaments have been semifinals, I think getting to the final will be the first like major achievement just to get to a final. And I think if they do manage to get to the final, They've got a really, it's the first time in a long time, I think you can look at an England squad and go, you can actually compete with the rest of the world. Like there's a squad there with a depth of 23 players that you look at and go, you know what, you can actually compete with some of the best teams in the world. And you haven't been able to say that about a about an England side. And I think Jesse touched on this earlier. And there's there's this mixture of experience and youth but even the youth are slightly experienced in their club formats as well, that, that everyone's kind of in some way, shape or form had some sort of experience in being able to play in big games and do well. Like you look at Ru- Alicia Russo and Ella Toon, they've been integral to Manchester United and the way they've been running, you know, in, in the last couple of seasons. And on the other end of the spectrum, you've got Leah Williamson and like Lucy Bronze doing well for City and Arsenal, you know, and really taking them forward. So I, I really feel like, you know, this, this, is a, this is a very opportunistic moment for England and, and Serena, you know, to come through and actually, you know, go all the way and actually win the title. But yeah, I, I think, I think, I think nothing, sh- I think if they reach the semifinal, unlike maybe other years, I almost feel like it would be like, ah, you know what, you got to another semifinal, but that's just, you know, you could have taken that one step. So I think, yeah, I think, I think they need to reach that final and win it. I think reaching the final mainly, but they probably should want to go go ahead and win it if they get to that point um, to really come on and say, all right, you know, uh, we do well. And, and, and that makes, you know, Weigman's impact is then just almost instantaneous, um, you know. And, and, you know, Alex, you talked about opposition. I think, to be fair, beating, you know, beating Germany, drawing Spain, uh, obviously drawing Canada, um, Switzerland, uh, and, you know, these, these games, that they, the Netherlands, they beat them, right? Playing these games... And coming out with victories and then like draws against you know gold medalists and whatnot. I mean that's that's pretty good considering there's change teams, five subs at halftime, all that put together to get those results and not lose any of those games. I think that's 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 pretty scary. And you don't have a Sepho and missing a penalty in the semifinals. But looking at the other contender in this group, Norway. Uh, obviously, the big crucial match of this group will be England-Norway. And of course, whoever Group A does face Group B. So England does have the possibility of facing Germany, Spain and Denmark in the quarterfinals, which is quite scary, as do Norway. But Norway arguably have bigger names in the squad. Just I mean, just when you look at Ada Hegeberg, uh, we're talking just names here, like commercially household names. Ada Hegerberg, Caroline Graham-Hansen, headlining the show mainly. Um, but then, you know, you have to look beyond that and look at the players that are playing behind them. Girl Wrighton, Frida Manum, Ingrid Engen, you know, they have a lot of talented players in that midfield. Jesse, how strong is this Norway side? There's something about this Norway side that just doesn't quite click for me. And I think this has been the case for a while with this Norway team. Obviously, yeah, I think you're right. You know, I think we've, kind of talked about Sweden having like a very balanced team and not having big names. And I think England are in a similar boat. I think it's fair to say that Norway's biggest names are a lot bigger, but I think we've, we've seen, you know, throughout tournaments that doesn't always equate to success. And I think there are moments when I watch Norway play where I think, wow, like this kind of talent on show is ridiculous. You know, especially that link up between CGH, Guru and Ada. I think also Ada's like, really on one for this tournament and I think that's scary like that is a player who who can obviously just kind of turn things on their head but I feel like when you look past them 
it's all a bit vibes rather than plan. I don't love Frieda Manum and Ingrid Engen together. I'm I'm just really not sure it works. It might work in the future. I just don't think it works now. Marimelda and Maria Torres-Dotti is a bit of a clusterfuck for me too. Again, two players like I love individually, but Marimelda's barely played any football. I think it shows. Maria Torres-Dotti is always like a hot in the mouth player. I think especially at centre back. Then they've got Julie Blackstad, who's like not even a fullback but I think she could be a good fullback but they're like we'll play her at left back then we'll play her at right back and again I'm like if you're looking specifically this matchup with England Judy Blackstone's going to come up have to come up against Lauren Hemp or Chloe Kelly and like again I would I would worry about all of that so they've got great players but to me it feels like in the same problems they had in 2017 and 2019 like we talk about Hegerberg missing 2019 but like she was there in 2017 <laughs> And that was really, really bad. She wasn't there in 2019 and they actually did better. Um, but even then, they still had CGH and Guru and people like that. So it just... I, I don't love it. I don't love it. So, Abdullah, going into my next question, just exactly. You know, you have the familiar faces of Marion Mielden and Maria Tarostati. I can't pronounce that right now for whatever reason that may be. It's the rosé. <laughs> it's the rosé, probably. I'm also just tired. But there, you know, Norway's defense doesn't really match up to the likes of Ada Hegerberg and Caroline Graham Hansen. Do you think that this might be the ultimate downfall, or do you think that they shouldn't be overlooked? It might be a cop out answer, but I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, I'm erring more on the side of it might possibly be their downfall more than it will be their savior, just because, you know, we've talked about it. Marimelda hasn't had the most minutes the last season. She's come back off that injury. Maria Thoris' daughter played minutes had a decent season with Manchester United, but, you know, isn't really, you know, a top 10 world-class defender as, you know, you know, if we look at all the centre-backs in the world. So I think while they are big names and they're ones that we recognise and we can say, oh, wow, you know, it's Mialda and, and Soros daughter at the centre of defence, I think they, they lack the pace, which, which is probably made up by their, by their positioning, you know, the awareness, but... I think I think if you look at, for example, you look at England's forwards, you look at someone like Lauren Hemp or Beth Mead that'll that'll come inside and kind of play around the centre backs. I think that'll be that'll be their biggest test, and I don't think they'll be able to 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 deal with that. And especially when you have um, when you have whether it's Ellen White, Alessia Russo, or Beth England in the middle, I think it just might be a bit too much for for them to handle. So yeah, I, I think I think ultimately it'll probably be their downfall, but. I don't think we can be entirely surprised if they do end up putting in a decent shift, you know, at the end of the day, even if it is for like 60, 70 minutes, you know, like a one nil victory to England will still feel like, wow, like I think Norway played decently well defensively, not going forward, going forward, obviously they could score, they can easily score, you know, two, three, four goals, but yeah, it's going, it's, it's the other way. CGH is going to sit down Alex Greenwood, just like she did in the Champions League. You heard it here first. Um, <laughs> So obviously this match between England and Norway is going to be the most important of this group to determine who's top, who's bottom. Obviously, there's a lot of factors that could happen. England drawing to Northern Ireland. I mean, you never know. <laughs> um, but a bit rare that might rare chance that, that might happen, but it could happen. But this match will determine who goes where. And obviously, in theory, you want to play second place, second best in group B, but then that's obviously a really good team as well. So I don't know how much of a difference it's going to be coming first or second. But Jesse, where can England and Norway have the advantage over each other in this match? Yeah, I think for England, it is going to be the wings. Like this is a game where England obviously have this issue with their starting 11 to weigh up, I think between Chloe Kelly and Beck Mead. But this Norway game is where I would say go for Chloe Kelly and like really run at their fullbacks because I think the way they push their players, their attacking Norway push their attacking players up, there's a lot there to be got at. Um, In the Denmark game, they did kind of like tuck Gura right in a bit more in midfield, uh, but I still think that's like a good good place to aim at. Norway, obviously, it's got to be Ada Hegerberg. Like, whether it's Millie Bright, Leah Williamson or Alex Greenwood, all of whom I think are very good centre-backs, it's just like Ed Hegberg is, Ed, you know, like I think Mappy Leon and Irena Paredes are very good centre-backs and Ed Hegberg made them look like absolute idiots. So that's just the nature of how good she is. I think the midfield battle will be very interesting because I think that's 
I think for both teams, that's a bit their problem position. Not that the players playing there aren't talented, but that neither team has quite figured out how to make it work. That is quite fair. I think, yeah, Ada Hegberg annoyingly can make anyone look bad, no matter how good you are, um, which is a bit of a shame and a blessing, I guess, to watch, um, unless she's playing against your team, um, like she did against Barcelona. Abdullah, and where, Jesse talked about the strengths, where can the downfall be for Norway and England in this match? I think for both of them, kind of what Jesse touched upon, I think it's both defences. I think just because of the threat that Arda Hegerberg and CGH uh, pull, along with Gur Reiten, I think the three of them put together um, can really threaten any defence in the world, not just England, and, and, and England has some pretty decent players. I think Lucy Bronze will have her hands full with with uh, with Gura right and on the on the left, and obviously they've played against each other in the WSL. Um, and then between the centre backs and um, and and Ada Hegerberg, I think will be a problem. And then on the left side, I think I think this is where England's left back selection becomes super important coming up against Caroline Graham Hansen. Do you play a Jess Carter, who's an excellent one v one defender, and you just tell her you sit on? CGH, don't move. Literally, your job is stop Caroline Graham Hansen from, from coming forward and defending. Or do you play Rachel Daly, who's actually been pretty decent at left back and playing this bit more of a tucked in role? She's got the recovery pace, the positioning to be able to deal with it. So I think that will be a key position for England to choose who actually starts on that left. Or do you even move Alex Greenwood out, out of the left back and play Leah Williamson at centre back? You know, these, I think that is where the, the, the idea comes from. Um, and I think for Norway, it's, it's the same thing. England have such a really, really talented front four that the two centre-backs, I think, will be over- overwhelmed. And then the full-backs, I don't think, will be able to, to, to get up much just because, you know, Lauren Hemp and, and, and you know, I think and I, I agree, I think Chloe Kelly should start on the right-hand side. If you play them both, it's very, very difficult for, the, for those two full-backs to, to push out and, and actually play further up the pitch. So... Yeah, I would say both defences are really where the weaknesses will lie for both teams. And let's have your predictions. Put put your words where it matters, basically. Jesse, what do you say? I think England will top this group. Oh, not a doubt in there. I come second. <laughs> not just straight into it. <laughs> well, you asked me to put my money where my mouth is. Like, that's, oh. that's what I think will happen. Well, then. I think England will be too good for Norway. Abdullah? Uh, yeah, I'll go. I'll go England. I, 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 th- I think, I think England will, will top the group, and and uh, Norway will come second. I would agree. I would agree. I would take she, it. She loves it. I would take she's, it. She's got all this big chat, but she loves it. I would take it one step further, and I would say that England, should it come down to like a tie between both of them, I think England will have a far better goal difference than Norway hmm. because of the attack. Um, but let's forget that I said that. Um, Group B. Now, Germany, Spain, Denmark, Finland. The group of death, as it's been called a lot, and we're just going to jump on that because it's it's accurate to a certain extent. I think it is the hardest group of, of the tournament. No one can deny that. Um, and there's going to be one big nation who will not make it past the group stage. And everyone is kind of leaning on that that's going to be the 2017 Euro finalist Denmark, potentially. Jesse, who do you think will top the group? I'm I'm right now I'm saying Germany but it's hard because Germany have played so little games in their warm up that it's they thrash Switzerland but it's Switzerland but I feel like people are more down on Germany than maybe they need to be That is fair Abdullah yeah, I, I I really like the look of this German team. Um, you know, they're like some of the players that have really come through, Clara Buhl and, and and you know Julia Gwynn and, and whatnot, like Leah Schuler. I, I think they're a really good side. Um, I think there'll be a couple of question marks defensively, but I think with their first choice uh, defenders, I think they can they can get, get through. And I think they've got a really good style that balances um you know, against different types of teams. So I think for me, it's, it's, I think Germany will just about edge it by a point to come top. Very bold. I'm not going to comment on that. No, I just, I generally don't know. Cause I think, I think I would have to go for Germany, but at the same time, Spain are so unpredictable that they can easily probably get in behind Germany quite e- easily at the defense. So, but then I think Germany will do better against Denmark than Spain will. So I, I would actually probably agree with you guys that Germany might just edge it um, to come out at the top. But let's focus on each of the top three quite quickly. 
Um, Spain have come into this tournament obviously with a lot of buzz off the back of Barcelona's success with Alexia Potellas. Um, as you may have heard that she's probably one of the best players in the world. I don't know. Um, that just might be my opinion. But at the same time, a lot of people aren't really analyzing who Jorge Villa is and what he's done to this team. Um, so while Spain have a very talented side, Jorge Villa doesn't really know how to manage that into the max max potential. And as much as Alexia, Aitana and Batri can do in the midfield, um, there's only so much that they could do to kind of carry the team in the sense that I think in the attack, that's where it changes from Barcelona to Spain because then you bring in Esther Gonzalez, Adena del Castillo, Lucia Garcia, who for some reason Jorge Villa loves, but I don't think she's good enough to be in the starting 11. Um, but that's just me. But it's, you know, Spain have the buzz because of the talent. And when that once that talent is off the pitch, they don't have much replacement for that level. So luckily, it's just the start of the tournament. And we're only focusing on the group stages. So there's no burnout just yet. Jesse, how do you see Spain in this group? I feel like, again, I feel like I've got to this point of a number of teams, but I feel like everyone was really keen on Spain and now it's become trendy to not be keen on Spain. So now everyone's really down on Spain. But I kind of agree with what you said earlier, Alex, that I feel like this Spain team is probably good enough to get out of this group and they might even be good enough to top it. It just kind of depends who turns up and how they turn up. They've clearly got the talent and I think, for all I agree and understand the stuff around Jorge Vilda, there's still enough talented players to do very well in this competition, ultimately. The worry for Spain is this scoring chances and being able to make pressure count. I think that's something, obviously, we've kind of consistently seen. And they are coming up against teams who who are going to cause them problems, you know, and are going to have good defences. Um, so... I think they will get out of the group because I think they are too good not to. But I do think they... I think what it comes down to is, undeniably, Spain could be a better team than they are. What I still can't quite judge is where what they are fits in with the rest of this European ecosystem. Because to me, it still feels pretty good. You know, just maybe not as ridiculously good as it as it could actually be. That is fair. I think it is really fair to say that Spain are not the poten- international potential that they could be compared to other nations because they do have the talent. They just don't have the right management, to put it very bluntly. Um, but we'll focus on Spain a bit later on again. But last time out, Denmark did make it to the Euro 2017 final and fell against the Netherlands as most people listening to this podcast already know, but just in case, you never know, there might be one listener who doesn't. And they've had a mix results recently, a 2-1 win over Brazil and Austria, but then a 2-1 loss to Norway most recently with a go-right embrace, might I add. And um, Pernille Harder is obviously the headliner in this squad, but with an out-of-form Nadia Nadim next to her, which is still a great Nadia Nadim because Nadia Nadim is... Nadia Nadim at the end of the day. Um, and obviously Caroline Moller was probably the most kind of a headline absentee from the squad. Uh, Denmark are, you know, they have Pernille Harder kind of carrying the team. And I think they are a very underlooked squad in the sense of, of you know, they don't have big names, but their players are still, you know, quite good players. Um, Abdullah, how do you see Denmark getting into, getting on in this group? You know, I think, I think um, to some extent, I think Denmark a little bit under underlooked just because you've got, while Spain, you know, like I said, there was this buzz and there was no buzz and they're back and everyone's going back and forth. But I still feel like between Germany and Spain, people look and go and go, wow, okay, it's Germany and Spain. And I think there's a little bit of, a little bit of like people not really paying attention to Denmark and kind of forgetting that they've got like Nadia Nadi and Pernilla Harder, you know, and and players like that, you know, Signe Brun and, and whatnot. And I think, you know, they, they will have a big say in, in what happens in this group. You know, we, we might call them for a second, just for the sake of the argument, the third team in the group. But like this third team in the group is is one who who can, who can you know, they can very easily go out and beat. Like they've got the capability to beat Germany and Spain very easily and come out on top of this group. Like it could very well happen. Um, I think it'll just, I think it comes down to the fact of whether Nadim and Harder can, can, if they click and work, they'll go on and win their games. 
if teams figure out a way to stop them, that's where I see the problem because I don't know where else they'll be able to find the goals and, and the play. Because getting the ball to them is fine, but then it's having to try and it's for teams that having to try and stop them. If they can do it, great. If they do it, then yeah, I do, I, do, I can see Denmark struggling to maybe score goals. Possibly that's where Signa Brun comes in and really brings something different. She's a lot bigger of a striker. She can maybe add something different. So they've got a couple of options there, and I really think they need to mix it up. But yeah, I, I think the key lies in that attack, like it was in 2017 uh, when they got to the final. And if and if those two can click, uh, and and Nadim seems to be you know showing a little bit of form since her injury in the NWSL, if she can continue that with Harder, then um, then nothing like. And I, and I think I think Penila Harder has, has got something to prove. I think after after the season she had, I think she you know she didn't play as much because of injury and whatnot. So I think I think she's got a little bit to prove coming into the Euros just to remind everybody that you know what you're talking about Arda, you're talking about Alexia, but I'm I'm also here. I'm, I'm also still one of the best top three four players in the world. So I, I think I think Denmark will have a big say in, in what happens in this group. I think that is fair to say they might be they might not make it through the quarterfinals, but I think they could be the difference, especially when coming up against that Spain defense um, and you know even the German defense at that. Um, but Germany are a group with some of the best youngsters in the world. Um, Lena Oberdorf, we've been talking about her the entire season in the Champions League. Cindy Lohmann is back from injury, finally. I think if she was fit, I probably would have said her name a lot more throughout the season also. Uh, Julia Gwen, undeniably talent. Savea Basmuth, no introduction needed. Eula Brand, Jesse's favourite. So you mix in all these, you know, thriving youngsters with legends like Alex Bobs, Fenya Huth, and Linda Dahlman, just to name a, a few. Um, so it's an overall stacked, to say the least, well-balanced team. But because there's so much talent, I don't think they know just how to click all together just yet. So every player offers such a different style of play and, and kind of how they play off one another. It's it's kind of a bit of a, an inconsistent kind of talented squad. And because they haven't played much pre euro friendlies there isn't much to go off of so they're kind of a wild card i guess in this group jesse what are your thoughts and analysis on this german squad yeah i think wild card is the word and i think that's actually got me leaning towards thinking they might be quite good i definitely think in terms of attacking talent they feel pretty unmatched to be honest maybe like england and sweden again but I just think they're so the ceiling on some of these players feels so high and we haven't seen it, I think, from a lot of them yet. So that's why it feels like it could be one of those tournaments where players just totally explode. And I also wonder whether because, you know, I think if you look at the kind of age of some of these players in the German squad, you're like the 2023 World Cup is well, to me, is what I would be like you're aiming towards. But that kind of feels like it maybe lifts the pressure. I don't know if that's different if you're actually German, because obviously. Germany won every single European championships that's ever basically existed uh, until 2017. So I don't know if they feel like it matters more than than maybe from like an external perspective. But yeah, I think going forward, they look great. I think it helps that players like Svenja Hood have, has, have had really good seasons. Um, also goalkeeping wise, they're crazy, which I know we've talked about before. So that's very exciting. The problem is defensively, I'm like, mm, I don't love it. There's my enemy, Feli Rauch. She's going to be playing. Mm, don't. It doesn't make me feel good. Worries me against Spain. So all of that is a bit like unsure. They obviously had this game where they like lost to Serbia and things like that. But again, the, the reason why the wildcard thing feels like it sums them up so perfectly is you even look at the Arnold Clark Cup games, you can't really read much into them because everyone had fucking COVID. So it feels so impossible to judge what this team could do. But I think if it clicks, it could be very, very special. To say the least, I do agree that, yeah, it is a bit unpredictable where, you know, Tabev Asmuth can easily, you know, come up with a hat trick on the opening day. Um, but, you know, okay, so three big clashes in this group, Spain v. Denmark, Germany v. Spain, Denmark v. Germany. Abdullah, is Germany's talent we'll leave it at that because it is mostly attacking talent but is their attacking talent good enough to power through these clashes even though they're not as gelled together as spain and denmark 
I want to say no, because I think throughout the season that we've just been through, we have realized how much tactics and chemistry in a team plays a part. Because without that, you can have the best attack and the best defense in the world. But if you don't have the cohesion between the, the three sections of the team, it doesn't matter. Like you can, you can, it just doesn't work. So I think, I think that's probably the only part where Germany's um, Germany falters a little bit because they are not as gelled together. They've not had the full starting eleven really playing uh, two three games on the on the bounce. Um, so it's going to be tight. I think there will be parts of the game where their where their forward talent will come through. Um, I mean, we saw this against England. We saw it against Spain in the Arnold Clark Cup. I know, I've, you know, I know, it was a lot of like different sides, but. You know, you saw one like Clara Boulle and Lea Schuller and, and these sorts of players, they were they were creating chances time and time again. Yeah, they didn't win the games exactly, but then they were still creating chances. And that's only a good thing as they get closer to the tournament. And once they start playing one or two games, you know, I think maybe that starts really coming in. I think the I think the one thing I can go with is a lot of the players play for the same club. There's a lot of Bayern Munich players, there's a lot of Wolfsburg players. So Playing in the same league, kind of, play, and a lot of them playing together in the same team. I think that that'll help to some extent, um, considering they'll know how they play with each other at a club level. So maybe that's. I'm just I'm plucking at straws here, but you know, it's 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 going to be tough. I think that's. I think this group is going to be tough. Period. Uh, but Jesse, can Spain's defensive line withhold the German and Danish attack? while Spain try to score, considering how we have mentioned how poor their conversion rate has been in front of goal? Yes, I think they should be. There's no reason why this Spain defence is bad, in my opinion. Again, Mapi and Irena are very, very good centre-backs and they play together all the time. Onabatia is clearly fantastic. Um, and even Leila Wahabi, I know she fell out of favour in Barcelona, but I still think she's like fine. Like, she's not bad. Uh, plus you've got Sandra Panos. But it definitely, you know, in that Italy friendly, it wasn't great. And I don't really know why. Because, as you know, when we talk about the Spain stuff fitting together, the midfield and the attack, I'm like, I get why that doesn't work, because it's a set of Barcelona players with a set of non-Barcelona players in front. But defensively, you're like, midfield, defence, like, it should all add up. So I think if Spain can get that right, like, I always think good defences win tournaments and that's maybe why this Spain attacking thing doesn't have to matter as much because I think they could have a good defense but I don't know if it's a bit of like uh you know Alex something you and I have talked about before I think is about how kind of brave that Barcelona defense gets to be because of the kind of quality in possession that that whole team has and whether there's a bit of a failure to twig that that you're not playing in that team anymore so you see I definitely think that Italy game you saw Mappi Leon taking risks in the way that she did with does with Barcelona but they don't pay off in the same way because everything else on the pitch is a bit more chaotic so I think that's the risk for Spain but definitely on paper there's no reason why it shouldn't be okay yeah I think I think it is a risk it is a risk for them but they've probably got the best defense of all three of those teams so again, realistically, you should think it will be fine. And then comes along Pernille Harder in the group stage. <laughs> um, but let's let's get down to predictions. Abdullah, what are your predictions for top two? Oh, this is so tough. Because I can see any combination of two going forward. Okay. I think Spain definitely go through. I think Spain will go through. I think, I think. Their team is just too good to not go through uh, with the talent that they have. So I think Spain's one of them. And I'm not going to tell you one or two. Don't ask me that yet. I'm going to edge it to Germany just because I think the biggest clash of this group is Denmark versus Germany. Whoever wins that game, I think, goes through, goes through uh, as the second team in the, uh, in the group. So, And I'm going, to, I'm going to slightly edge it to Germany. But then you think about... Penilla Harder, Nadia Ndim, and, and, and Brun, and et cetera, against that German defense, you're like, oh, there's a lot of chances there, you know, so it could go either way. So I think the winner of that game goes through, and that's all I'm going to leave it at. So Spain plus, <laughs> Spain plus one of those two, which doesn't answer the question, 
but it's too close to call. I think it will be Germany and then Spain, but I haven't really done the maths on this because I do still wonder if Finland could like throw a spanner in the works, not consistently enough to get out of the group. But I just feel like that opening Spain-Finland game has like nil-nil written all over it. And I haven't then done the permutations of what would need to happen if that, that kind of thing happened. But ignoring the actual maths, which I haven't done, yeah, I think I think Germany will be too good for Spain. But I think Spain will have enough against Denmark and Finland to go through. That is quite fair. So you're saying Germany first, Spain second. Yeah, and then let's get this Spain-England quarterfinal on the road. Oh my In God. Brighton. You're I want to see Alexia in Club so Revenge quickly. after she's lost the quarterfinal. <laughs> Club Revenge is a gay bar in Brighton, for anyone who doesn't know. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so after party in Brighton is already established, but we'll, we can touch on that in the later uh, podcast episode. Um, we'll move on to Group C. We have Sweden, Netherlands, Switzerland and Portugal. One of the big favourites, uh, Sweden, along with the current champions, the Netherlands, are favourites top the group. Uh, snake hip Leo Wati leading Switzerland, although she did not look fully fit. So we'll see how that goes. Um, and Portugal, who obviously are a replacement for Russia and who didn't pa- make it past the group stage in 2017, Predictably, that's going to happen again this year. But Sweden are possibly one of the best squads with every player playing at a, a high club level. Um, and then when you have Magda Eriksson as your captain, how wrong could you go realistically? Um, Jesse, what's your analysis on Sweden? I like Sweden, but I think they've got a bit of the England about them. Like they bottle stuff a bit, you know? I think everything you can like throw at England in terms of maybe bottling games, Sweden have as well. And I think. Again, similarly, they've got lots of very good players, but they don't necessarily have that obvious one-off who you're like, wow, if you give this player the ball, they're going to do something amazing. Now, I think actually that can be an advantage for both teams, but when maybe both teams get in tricky situations, they don't necessarily have someone obvious to look to. Um, I think clearly all across the pitch, there is huge amounts of quality and again maybe it's the Germany problem of like not always seeing how it fits together like I still think for all the kind of attacking talent they've got in terms of Stina Blaxinius, Lena Hurtig, Kosvare Aslani, Friedelona Rolfo, you have to select a combination of those players and it doesn't always feel like it's the right combination to make things work slash they're not always players who are like Lena Hurtig is just unreliable. Do you know what I mean? Like you see it when she plays for Juventus, you see it when she plays Sweden. She still gets picked quite a lot. Like that's something that I'm not like quite sure if I've figured out. But yeah, I think, you know, they've got some really, really exciting players. Like I'm really looking forward to watching Philippa Angledal. I can't believe, well, I can believe because it's Man City and Gareth Taylor, but like how little minutes she got this season. But, you know, all Man City's midfielders are leaving. So she will hopefully play more next season. And I think, this could be like a good opportunity for her to show how good she is. Um, yeah, Magda Eriksson, again, I think because she had she didn't play that much for Chelsea this season, I feel like I've kind of forgotten how good she is. Maybe that's a like silly thing to say, but she is obviously very, very good. Um, so yeah, I, it's, it's a very talented squad. I think this group's really good for them. I think it'll be a really nice, easy warm-up for them, and then we'll kind of see how they feel when they face the mighty England in the semi-finals is that what we're saying is going to happen that's what I think will happen mighty England <laughs> the uh, synonyms are, are are growing as we get to the podcast. oh god yeah this is this is gonna can you imagine how insufferable I'll be if we win that I, I would I would kind of run away from you <laughs> after the final pretty much I have other things to do sorry Jesse I'm, I'm busy that day unfortunately you're staying at my house that night so <laughs> Yeah, I'm kind of stuck, aren't I? <laughs> well, it's going to be fun. Um, moving on from England, because they're not in this group. Um, the Dutch are current champions, but now without Serena Wigman at the wheel of Dulat, what do you think of the Netherlands? I don't know. Mar- it's- Mark Parsons is almost coming in. I just want to say, not made them worse, but like made them worse. It's, 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 it's weird. It's like... 
they don't, they look like they're stuck between the transition of Serena Weigman's team and his team. And they're just in this weird no man's land in between. It's neither his team nor her team. And I feel like the players are almost like, like we kind of want to play what we were playing because we're so used to it and have not bought into his ideas as much. I mean, you look at their last few results. The only team they've really beaten in, in the last year or less is Brazil in that tournoi de, de France tournament. They beat Brazil in a 1-1 draw and for, you know, they won it in extra time penalties. And then they lost to France. And the only other teams that they've beaten are like minnows. They beat the South Africa 5-1. They beat Cyprus 12-0. They beat Finland 3-0. They drew, they drew the Czech Republic 2-2. They lost to England 5-1 very recently, and then they beat in the Finland again 2-0. So the results have been flattering. You know, they've been very deceiving. Like, yes, they're, they're winning, but they're not winning against quality teams. And you contrast it to what we talked about with England and with, with, with France and all these other teams, right? Like, they're at least winning against teams of equal level. They're, like, not winning against I, I think the England game really exposed kind of what they were all about. They did well for 45 minutes. They they, they took the lead from a, from a decent set piece with Laker Martin scoring the header. But beyond that, in the second half, the, the, the or defensive organization was horrible, which Mark Parsons came out and said that it was his fault was the way they played. You know, it's it's a scary time. I don't think, obviously, I don't think they win. They I don't think they get to the the to the semifinals. And 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 again, I think Switzerland will give them a tough time. I think we saw again against England, Switzerland for 45 minutes, they created a couple of decent chances. They could have scored a goal, maybe two. And I think if they can put away, if, if uh, uh, Kerner Gorsovic and, and, and Bachmann can, can really get in and take one, of the, one or two of their, those chances that they're creating, then, then I think it can go through. So it's, it's not out of the realm of possibility that you know, the Dutch don't go through because it's, it, it's, it's not been a great... Uh, great last couple of months so far that is fair i think that the the end of serena vigman's kind of year at the netherlands was kind of evident that the team was dying out in under her reign and it did require a bit of refreshment and that refreshment was mark parsons and he has a lot to work with but at the same time he doesn't because you still have a sharia spitze who's still starting and stuff. So it's kind of that same cycle that Serena Vigman was kind of having trouble with of having to compete with, I mean, to, to not say old, to, to compete with experienced players against nations like Germany who are creating a lot of young players. And the Netherlands do have young players and they have amazing talent, but it is a bit of a shame that they're not producing a defensive talent to kind of match up to the attacking talent that they are producing. Um but be that the biggest clash of this group will be Sweden versus Netherlands. Jesse, where is this match won and lost? Yeah, I think, you know, the, the Netherlands defensive stuff does feel like the biggest issue here. And it doesn't really feel like there's any more time for them to fix it, to be totally honest. So I think Sweden should slash could have a lot of fun there. Although with the caveat of that, I think Sweden always struggle to turn pressure into goals but yeah I, I think also yeah the Sari van Vienendal stuff is just like quite stressful to watch and it's not really surprising that any defense kind of in front of that is gonna have a bit of a panic but that being said Netherlands still have Miedemar, Lika Martins like I do think as much as I love Magda, I think she's she's a quality defender. She is still a player who I think can be got at. I think they showed in the first half of that England game as well that they can put teams under pressure and force them into errors and disrupt their build-up play. And, you know, with it being the first game in the group, I think there is an element of, like, teams aren't necessarily in their rhythm. And that can kind of disrupt people also I feel like Jill Rawls could have a madness again because this year it just feels like it's the same thing as Beth Mead like players who are a bit like wow like you've just kind of gone to this new level and it seems to purely be out of some kind of mad revenge tour I don't even know what Jill Rawls is revenging but like that's just the energy that she's got and so yeah I think Sweden will have the advantage here but like I definitely wouldn't write off this Netherlands attack at all Joe Rod is just establishing herself as the alpha and everything, basically. 
Abdullah, kind of similar question to you, but focusing maybe on uh, players from each side. Who are going to be the key players? Let's not mention Viv Miedema, just for the sake of we all know how important she's going to be for the Netherlands. So try to focus on someone else. I think if, if I start with the Netherlands, I think, um, again, I, I'll keep Lika Martens aside as well, because I think that's that's another obvious uh, obvious name. But I think uh, Lynette Birenstein, I think, is going to be a, a big player. I think when she plays up front, she really brings this aggressive press that I think will be really, really useful. And against all that, seeing as pressing as this massive... Um, uh, massive part of any team strategy now. I think I think Lynette really brings that you know brings that forward in abundance. So I think she's going to be uh, I think she's going to be a, a massive um, a massive call there. Uh, equally, I think um, as 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 I would want to say inexperienced as she is, I think Anik Nawa at the back the, you know could come through and and really show because she she had a really decent uh season for Chelsea and I think and I was actually quite impressed with her in, in, in the uh, in the friendlies that I did watch her play and her positioning was pretty decent uh I think a lot of the crosses that came in and a lot of the interceptions were made by her so I think this could be a decent uh, decent chance for her to really take a claim as a as a big as a big player and kind of lastly I think um maybe two players plus minus I think Damaris choosing the Netherlands as her country of to represent. I think once she starts playing, I think that'll really help the midfield control and that'll be a massive plus for them along with the other players that they have. And, uh, and Daniela Vanderdonk, I think obviously not having played last three, four months, injuries, but I think a fit Vanderdonk with Damaris and you can pick one of Gilroad, Pelova or Gronen and really you have a pretty decent midfield that could really compete against a lot of them. So those would be my 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 Dutch keepers. And if I can quickly run a couple on the Swedish side, I think Philippa Angadal, I think is going to be a massive player. I think she's she's she's, she's totally underrated uh, because I think a lot of people haven't seen her play against you know for Man City because of Gareth Taylor reasons. Um, so I think I think she's going to be uh, she's going to be a big one there. And um, you know that I mean you think about the rest of that team is stacked with with players, but then. Um, and I think I'll say I'll say Aslani because uh, Aslani is Aslani and and she knows how to score goals. We saw her performances at the at the Olympics last year and the way she created as almost like that number ten for them was was pivotal. So yeah, I would those would be my key players. That is fair enough. And now down to the hard bit predictions. Jesse, what are you saying? Sweden top, Netherlands second. Abdullah. Sweden top, and I think just for the memes, I'm gonna say Switzerland second. Oh, wow. that's a hot take. First, first hot take of the podcast. Yeah, we talked about He's hot takes. We, them. I, I'm okay. taking a leaf. I, I'm taking a leaf out of Jesse's. I haven't picture, even dropped so a hot take. Yeah. First hot take of the episode. I know. I've, I know. Actually, right. quite shocking. Okay, Abdullah, with the first hot take right? of the episode. I, I had to do it. I had to do it. So here we are. Okay, Switzerland second. I believe in Kern, I believe in Kern Gorsevich. <laughs> She's going to do it. Honestly, she did look quite good in the friendlies. She was kind of like, she had like the perennial harder look on her face of, she's like, I'm getting shit done. And she almost did. Not quite. There are some decent young players in that team. Uh, you know, at the beginning, I had high hopes for Switzerland, but then I saw them in some of the friendlies and I kind of retracted on that opinion um but i do think they are a good squad but you know what it is it is anything's possible in a tournament you never know um looking at group d well i think jesse's gonna bring up a hot take on this one um <laughs> so chaos in france an underrated italian team perhaps um and though this is this is a weird group because you have the top two kind of set not set in stone but you have the top two who are kind of the obvious ones to predict but then Belgium are kind of not here to lose like I think Belgium do see themselves as kind of one of the better sides in Europe even though they're not able to compete with the top sides but I they're they're just not here like they're not a kind of Switzerland or Ireland who have had bad results and who kind of don't have a good history with tournaments i guess you can say but belgium i think will have a better confidence in that and then iceland i'll let jesse get into that but korindriak is the only manager that's going to be stealing the spotlight from jorge villa 
Um, obviously, she's been a bad influence, I think we could say, overall in the squad and potentially hurting their chances of actually reaching their maximum potential with the talented players that they have. I mean, we've talked about it again throughout the entire season of Diani Katoto in Baltimore, and you have that same trio in your national team squad, which should, in theory, translate over because unlike the Spain squad who need to play the ball up to the forwards, once the ball gets up to the forwards and you have the same middle three that's playing in club. So in theory, it should be easier to kind of translate from club to country. But Jesse, France, do you want to try and summarize them? Is it possible to summarize France? Um, well, the data models love them, which is confusing to me. But fair play. They have had a good run of results and they've also done well to basically not play that many tricky teams. Like they obviously had good results at the Tournoi de France, but I think looking at Brazil and the Netherlands, those results also maybe shouldn't be as impressive as maybe we thought they might be. I think obviously the players are very talented especially out wide, I'm going to say. You know, I think, like, their fullbacks are sick. I think, obviously, attacking-wise, they've got good stuff going on. Um, Although Alex and I were talking yesterday about... Karindiak hasn't played in either of these two friendlies, the, that front three of PSG. She's used uh, Cascarino in both games, and she used Mallard in one as well. So that kind of makes me think she won't do that. Which I don't necessarily think has to be a bad thing. I do think Sandy Baltimore's had a bit of like a slump towards the end of her season. And Mallard had a really good end of her season. And, you know, Cascarino is obviously very talented too. So I, I can kind of understand why that decision's being made. But it does feel a bit strange to try and, you know, build these relationships that aren't necessarily there when you kind of got a ready-made set. Obviously, the midfield thing is then the drama. It's because Amandine Henri's not there. This is like... Henri's sick and she should have taken her obviously but I don't necessarily think like just plopping Henri in that team like changes the kind of weaknesses that are there um you know I think Henri has shone in that Lyon team because of the players who are around her too like having Kat Macario in front of you and Lindsay Horan next to you really helps with a lot of things so I don't necessarily think that was like the obvious thing. Um, obviously, she's been using Clara Matteo, who, to be totally honest, I don't really know anything about. So um, that will be kind of interesting to see. I feel like the thing that I don't understand about this French team is how much the off-field stuff is impacting them. Because if I was Katoto and I'd been dropped for the 2019 World Cup and then it was like everything was on me, I'd be a bit like, eh, not really into it. But I don't know, maybe it doesn't bother them. Maybe they've got this, like, us against the world mentality. Maybe the current Leon players hate Amandine Henri and usually lost Mer. Like, it doesn't always sound great there either. So maybe they're like, yeah, fuck you. We don't want you here. So I think the thing with France is it will be chaos. It could be really good chaos, but I think it'll be chaos regardless. I think chaos is the one word to summarise France. That is the word. Um, but looking at another team I don't want to say the other team to kind of win it because it is again all up in the air but Italy have recently drawn one one with Spain in a friendly as we mentioned recently this was last week and just like Spain the bulk players of Italy are Juventus players who have had a good season um, which of course included beating Lyon in, in the Champions League but Italy against Spain was kind of a disaster in the sense that you have a really good attack in Cristiana Girelli and Barbara Bonansea, who we have seen what they can do on the pitch. And then you have kind of, on paper, you have a really good midfield, but on the pitch, they're very absent, which obviously doesn't help a team. Um, And to be honest, like their defensive play out the back was really ballsy. And I did not expect that, especially when you have a Spanish quad who are quite good at pressing um, but they would kind of pull up a mappy in the box and kind of just play against, play around a player and just pass it out to their defensive midfielder. Or, or I mean, in this case, their fullback because they didn't have a midfield. Um, but Italy, you know, they played well. They would do well the counterattack if you get the ball up to Barbara Borancea and Girelli, but you don't have that midfield to play out of, which is a bit of a shame because of the quality that this Italy side have. And 
now, so you can talk it up and you can talk it down. A 1-1 draw with Spain. Their goal came from a corner, um, a very poorly defended corner, which is obviously Spain and Barcelona's weakness as well. Um, a simple tap in and they managed to, to get the 1-1 draw again because Spain didn't finish a lot of their chances. So, Abdullah, are people not talking about Italy enough or are they right in doing so? I think we can err on the side of people not talking about Italy enough. I think you mentioned it, the 1-1 with Spain. They beat Switzerland 1-0. They beat Lithuania 7-0. You know, they they just, they lost to Sweden on penalties 6-5 in February. You know, they beat Norway 2-1. So, and then they beat Denmark in February as well, 1-0. So, I mean, these are some pretty decent results. You know, we, we talked about... Um, you know, we talked about the Dutch and their results in recent games. I mean, arguably, I'd say Italy have had better results than them in the last six six months. So, I think I think they are slightly underrated going into this going into this tournament. Like you said, I think they've got some really, really, really top class players. That 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 you know, Italy Italy could be one of those sides that I think this is their breakthrough tournament. And this is the moment where we see the tides turn and we go right. You know, we can consider Italy as one of the Maybe not at the level of France, England, Germany, Spain for now, but just that one tier below where you go, right, you know, you, when you play against them, you're coming up against the top side. And, you know, if you manage to beat them, you've, you've done pretty well for yourself. And I think with the, with the talent coming through in Italian football, it, it only gets better. I think if they can just gel together and really do well, I think they could do it. And I think there's very, very, there's a very good chance that if they get into the quarterfinals and put on a good showing, that people start taking them more seriously going into next year's World Cup. So, you know, it's uh, it's 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 interesting. I, I think this Italian side is going to be pretty good. All right, Jesse, now is your time to shine. Here's all the training that you've been doing and <laughs> pronouncing all these last names. Iceland's are one to be talked about as big underdogs in this group. But Jesse, I know you're hoping for an upset here because you love Iceland for whatever reason that may be. Um, but do you want to explain to everyone why they shouldn't be written off? I just think they're a very solid team. I think they've got a really nice mix of experience and then kind of some exciting young, or I guess one very exciting young talent. Um, you know, I think having Sarah Bjork-Gunnestotir back is a really big boost for them. I think she brings a lot to that midfield, but I also think, you know, Dagny Brynjastotir has been amazing for West Ham. Like, um, I love West Ham as a club, obviously, and I really think she's been fantastic this season. She actually finished as their WSL top scorer, which is wild. And then obviously they've got Svendis Jane Johnstotter. And I think what she offers is just that bit of star quality that you really need when you're kind of in an open group, but for someone to kind of be able to conjure something Uh and I think the fact that they've got her on top of like what feels like a really solid team just makes me think that when you look at the rest of this group, they can get stuff done. Like when you look at, look, I mean, probably now France is going to come top and Italy will come second. It'll be really dull. But I just feel like if something fun could happen, it would be here and it could be Iceland just because I, I think as a group of players, I really like their energy and I feel like they've got the pedigree to kind of make things happen. Okay. And Abdullah, last question before we get to the predictions. France, in theory, should be able to top this group. In theory. Whether it will happen, you know, Iceland are going to be first and Belgium are going to come out second for the hell of it um, but where could it all go wrong for them on the pitch I think defensively and, and, and going forward I think France are unrivaled I think they've got a world-class attack and they've got a world-class defense so I'm not worried about them there my problem with them is um, that midfield that midfield is so it looks so out of place compared to the quality they have going forward and going back this is no knock on, on the players that are there in midfield personally I think a couple of them individually are really, really good and really, really under, uh, you know, underrated. I think Sandy Toletti is is a really, really good player. She's played for Levante. She's played in France. She's played in Spain. You know, um, and she's really made a mark. Uh, she's she's one of the better you know, creative players in in football. And I think in the next couple of seasons, she will be due a, a move to a top side. I think Clara Matteo has she she led Paris FC to a Champions League spot 
this season in France. And I think she's one of their um, star players. And I found out the other day that she's not only just a professional footballer, but she works as a business development uh, a person for, uh, I think, the FFF or like one of those French places. She's she on the board or something. She works as like a business development manager or something as a as a second job, which was a very, very pleasantly surprising fact that I found out about Clara Mateo. Um, so that was that was interesting. But again, I think her wearing the number 10 shirt for, for, for this is, is I, mean, I mean, I know shirt numbers aren't everything, but it's significant what you get when you get the, the, the 10, the eight, you know, and the, those numbers. So Clara getting the 10 is, is big and I think she'll do well. But the problem is you put Kenza Dali, Sandy Toletti, Clara Mateo, you know, and Charlotte Bilbao, you put those players in a midfield together. It just doesn't scream extreme quality. And, and, and to me, I feel like that could, that midfield could get overrun. And I think that's where things could go wrong. So maybe they'll, they'll get away with it in the group stages, but I don't think going into the quarters and semis that, you know, a little bit more quality than I think they will get overrun because there's no legs in that midfield. Like Kansas 30, Charlotte's like 32, 33, and was slow anyway. Every, every you know, I, I think I, I saw a tweet. Every screenshot, every picture of Charlotte Bilbao in midfield was her pulling someone's shirt. It just so happened to me that she was always a, a yard behind. But then that's the reality of it. How do you go with that as your main defensive midfielder? So I think that's the weakness of France is in that middle of the park. All right, let's get some hot takes in this group predictions. Jesse, let's go. I am going Iceland top, Italy second, France in the mud. Woo! All right. Strong start, Abdullah. What do you got to say? <laughs> I think I think I'll balance it out. I'm gonna go France and uh, France and Italy as my top two. You know, I want to. I think Italy will definitely go through, but then honestly, like France going out in the group stage is probable. Not, it doesn't have a high probability, but <laughs> that's a very fun use of the word probable. <laughs> it, it it has a probability. <laughs> Not a high probability, though. Um, I could see France getting kind of run around in the midfield and defence. But at the end of the day, I do see France scoring enough to get by. I'm, I'm going to play... It's hard to pull you out of game. I, you know what? I really want to go for a hot take and say France are out in the group stage, but I think I'm going to be sensible tidily a Boo. bit and maybe say... Italy top of the group, France second. Why does that? You're all going to be wishing you were as clever as me when Iceland win the whole Euros. All of it. Even against England. Yeah. Even, all right. (laughs) I would take it. I I love England. I probably wouldn't at the time, but I love England. But you know what I really love? Being right. So (laughs) that is fair. Sarah Bjork has a point to yeah. prove. I mean, she made headline news. She made headline news. So she has a point to prove. It is true. I, 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 I want to change it. But she's I don't an angry lady. Either. She's an angry, she's an angry lady. Do you want to cross paths with Sarah Bjork? Oh, no, I would and never. just say like, you do, you're not going to win the Euros. You're like, no, you're going to win the whole thing. I'm just going to step out of your way. She's going to get to Wembley and complain that Wembley isn't big enough. <laughs> <laughs> It could well happen. Hear this podcast, and then she comes. She comes for you, Jesse. Okay, so we're gonna. So this time next week, we're gonna record our next episode. We're gonna record it on Monday, and by then, we're gonna have seen England, Austria, Norway, Northern Ireland, Spain, Finland, Germany, Denmark, Portugal, Switzerland, Belgium, Iceland, France, Italy, Netherlands, Sweden. That's gonna be a lot to digest. So next week is going to be a hell of an episode, especially because we're, all, we're already going to have France, Italy, Netherlands, Sweden, who are Gen- Germany, Denmark, and as Jesse you know, pointed out, Spain, Finland, for whatever reason. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's going to be a no-no Watch draw. I'm telling it's going to be a no-no draw. So, yeah. So, that okay, we'll end the previews on this. And we're going to come back next week after the first round of the group stage concludes. And after that, we're going to have an episode a week. So we're going to have 
three episodes. It was my math right for the group stage. Yeah, we're wrapping up after every set of fixtures. And then we'll get a knockout wild. So three. Yeah, basically. So we're going to have three episodes for the group stage, one episode after the quarterfinals, potentially another episode after the semis, and then obviously wrap up the tournament after the finals. So we're going to have an episode after each stage, basically. Um, so quite a lot of us this month, if you like that. Um, but thank you for listening to this. And one more thing, we do have a fantasy league with She Plays Australia which is a lot harder than I imagined to do. I spent about an hour picking up my team. But if you go on to the links on our Twitter, you can have the link into the league, which is weirdly a lot of people already, which I kind I kind of like. Um, but you can create your team for free. You just have to register, put it all out, spend about an hour or two creating your team because of the budget and the money and stuff. Or three or four. Yeah. So you can't have Alexia Fodeas and Mapi Leon and then, you know, add a Hager break up top because your money just didn't allow it. <laughs> that reveals what Alex wanted in her team. Yeah, sounds sounds tried and tested. Mm, yeah. You know, it, it did take a lot, but I actually, I don't think I have Alexia Fodeas in my team, believe it or not. I don't really do, no. I had to, I had to sacrifice because I do have Mapi in my defense. Um, So I did sacrifice a little bit. But anyway. You're going to have a whole episode on fantasy teams. Oh my God. <laughs> That would be fun. Um, but I think that would get me too mad and I wouldn't be able to function, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so go on our Fantasy League if, you, if you're into that. It's quite easy to create a team and you compete with all of us. And make sure you're following us on Twitter um, to keep up with every episode. We'll say when we record and when it's coming out. Um, but for now, thanks for listening. And it's two days from the Euros at the time of recording and time of release. Euro should be tomorrow. Um, so one day away from the Euros it's going to be quite exciting and yeah thank you for listening and see you soon bye